I'm Christian Chiller. Welcome to my podcast, an enthusiastic ramble through whatever has taken my interest the past week or so. Expect technology, games, history, travel, geekery, and as always, much, much more. Welcome to Chinchilla Squeaks with me, Chris Chinchilla, getting towards the end of the year, probably the last episode or two of 2023. It's been quite a busy year. I'll do a little bit of a recap, I think, in the next and final episode for the year. But today I'm actually going back nearly six months now, wow, to catch up with two of the final interviews recorded at and around We Are Developers here in Berlin in summer. First, I speak with Philip Rick and his love of Cyprus, the automation testing framework that's popular with many. And then I speak with Denny Leclerc about accessibility, but specifically accessibility for vision in websites and on the web. So let's jump into those after a few. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Words from sponsors. So Philip, you are very, seemingly very excited about Cyprus. I'm not talking about the country, talking about, <laughs> well, tell us what is Cyprus? Uh, well, Cyprus is a test automation tool for anything that runs inside the browser. So mostly web applications, but you can do some more fun stuff about it. And recently, it's still things running in a browser, but recently Cypress has expanded its functionality to not only do end-to-end testing, but also component testing. Mm -hmm. So you can take your component from any framework that you use, mount it inside the browser, run tests on it, and then like debug debug it very very comfortably because it's like there with your dev tools and every tool you need. It still has to be in the browser. You can't do native mobile apps. No, no, not really. But I have seen uh, a solution for like React native apps. So you could like mount those inside like the the React parts you could mount in browser and test those. Is it something similar with languages like Flutter? Probably, probably. I haven't really experimented with that. But uh, yeah, I think that could be doable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Cypress, I think a lot of people might know tools like Selenium. And mm-hmm. as far as I remember, Cypress is, was, has some, some of the team maybe bought off from it, or there, there's a connection between the two, I think. I think, uh, I think there is actually, I would say maybe the opposite. Like there is a disconnect (laughs) (laughs) because because the way I like to explain the basic difference between Selenium and Cypress is that Selenium uses WebDriver protocol to Mm -hmm. basically automate the browser, right? And Cypress chose a slightly different approach instead of using the, the, the WebDriver protocol to automate the browser it injects itself right inside the browser and automates your app directly. So you could imagine it like, you know, Selenium tries to ring the doorbell 
Cyprus is kind of already inside the door, which means that there uh, you will get a hard time to do some stuff, you know, like outside the house. Yeah. And but but you get closer to what you are actually testing, and I think that's a big advantage. But of course, it's a it's a design decision they made, and it brings you some advantages, and of course, it brings you some some limitations. Mm-hmm. And which one came first? I think it's still Selenium. Yeah, Selenium came first. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I'm aware, Cypress has become kind of the cooler option, or at least maybe the more popular option recently, (laughs) especially in the JavaScript world. Yeah, it definitely has an appeal. And I think that appeal was built by how well it fits the developer workflow. So if you're a web developer, you are already familiar with no React, Angular, Vue.js, whatever. You build those tools, you work inside the browser, you have a live dev server, so anything you change in a file gets reloaded. You get to work with CLI, run your tests on, on, on GitHub Actions and, and whatnot. And Cypress is exactly that. Cypress has this runner, which you can open, and it essentially opens the browser. And you can run your test whenever you save them. They automatically rerun. Uh, the, the CI integration is quite seamless. So I think that workflow, fitting into that workflow, is what made Cypress really popular, especially among developers. But yeah, testers and QA engineers have been implementing that quite a lot as well. It brought some challenges. It uh, brought some, some happiness uh, to testing. But yeah, we could we could talk about that a little more about how Cypress has affected the the testing world. Okay, <laughs> why not? You you've dropped a hint there. Why don't we go for it? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, we, we could we could jump right into it. I think that what I like to say is that Cypress kind of brought testers closer to development and developers closer to testing. Mm-hmm. Because if you're a developer and you're supposed to be writing tests you're not very enthusiastic about it. You want to get the job uh, done as fast as you can. And I think Cypress has helped a lot with that because it has like very, very simple API, very simple commands that can that allow you to write your tests in a matter of seconds, right? And I think that was also a great appeal for testers because the simplicity of the, of the syntax was meant that many of the people that wanted to enter the test automation field had a lot lower barrier, you know? But as I mentioned, it brought testers closer to web development. So I think maybe Selenium was much, maybe more forgiving if you if your approach to testing was sort of like a black box testing. Yeah. You want to do automation, and you're not really considered too much about what is happening inside your app. Cypress is less forgiving in that way. I think it sort of invites you to examine what's happening inside. And one good example of that is that Cypress has this like really cool intercept command that essentially catches any kind of HTTP requests going from your front end to, to your server and you can work with those. You can even mock those. You mm-hmm. can you can wait for them to finish and make your tests more stable with that. And there are like endless options with what you can do just with the network layer that 
that sometimes you kind of need to do that. And that, that's, that's the aspect that sort of invites you to understand what's actually going on with, the, with that application. And I've been really enjoying that. But I've seen that not always sit well with everyone. Yeah. So, so yeah, I would say unless you are ready, unless you want to enter that world to learn a little bit more about web development, maybe it's, it's better to stick with some other tools. But for me, I think, I think it's a huge advantage to be able to do that. So I, I would recommend that personally. Just, just out of interest, we spoke uh, a minute ago about how they're both primarily aimed at testing, mm -hmm. but the aspect of automation did let some people do some other interesting things. Yeah. And we talked about automating screenshots and things. So would you say that Selenium was better for those kind of cases, or could people still do those automation things that are not really directly related to testing with Cypress? Yeah, I think I think if you take a look at at the homepage of both these tools. Mm -hmm. You, you'll get some hints there, right? right? If you go to Selenium, I'm not sure if it's still the case, but it says Selenium automates browsers. Okay. Yeah. And like what you do with that power is totally up to you, right? So yeah, you could do more like web scraping, some scripts for yourself, create your workflows for that, I guess. With, with Cypress, I actually forgot what the what the homepage says, but it is a testing tool. Yeah. It has to be a test. It actually has this binary kind of setup where you your test either passes or fails. There's nothing in between. There's no like it just ran. Yeah, yeah. something just ran. It it either passes or fails. Yeah. Okay. And why did you get into it in the first place? <laughs> Well, it was, I kind of got lucky, <laughs> I would say, because I entered the tech world about seven years ago, maybe eight, I don't know. And at that time I was working with Slido and I was just starting to test and I knew that there is something called test automation. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I had to do some in order to be able to keep up pace with our development, right? And at that time, I played with Selenium IDE, oh, yeah. which was a nice tool, but I like didn't know what I was doing. And funnily enough, Cypress had like their first ever presentation. I think it was first ever in Bratislava <laughs> at, at a React conference, React Conf, something like that. I forgot the name. And my colleagues came, came back from that conference and said, hey, this is a cool tool. Maybe you should check it out. And at that time, it was like invite only. Yeah. So I got my invite and the rest is history. You know, like I, the, the API was very easy to grasp. The documentation was stellar from, from day one, actually. It was really good. And, and I just started starting working with, with Cypress and I, and I didn't like think much of it. I, I didn't like think about hey, I should really decide which tool I need to use, examine all the different possibilities and pick the best one. I chose Cypress. It worked well for me. And I didn't even consider myself to be like questioning that decision. So yeah. in, a, in a way, I, I got quite lucky. And now you're an official or unofficial kind of evangelist for the project? Or? Yeah, there's an ambassador uh, program with uh, Cypress, which I entered 
basically at the beginning like when when cyprus decided to create this ambassador program i was already in that was that was lovely and yeah and after after that i realized hey this cyprus ambassador ambassadorship is kind of uh, kind of a cool thing and maybe i maybe i could do something with that and my colleague in, in work said like you could already teach it and i was like i could teach that i'm i'm in the tech world for like two days right <laughs> i don't feel like teaching anything but he gave me the confidence to that that i can so i decided to write some blog posts then i went to a conference did a workshop then i started to do those workshop on my own it's been like a really really fun journey and what i mean what is the setup of cypress itself is it fully open source or is there a company behind it or a commercial yeah. version and a free version yeah this is the part that confuses some people yeah. so i'm really glad you brought that up cypress is completely open source okay. it's a tool you can use for free there is a cypress company right and that company hired a lot of people and what they are building is Cypress Cloud, formerly known as Cypress Dashboard. So what this enables you to do is to easily create a parallelization for your, for your tests. And as we speak there, they are bringing some new features like test replay, so you can actually debug your test. That's going to be like really cool. And that part of the product is paid. The, the part that confuses people is that they say, oh, you cannot run Cypress in parallel if you don't pay. You actually can, but the, the, the catch is you need to build that on your own. Yeah, for sure. So that, that takes a little bit of time and you need to build that on your own with, with many different tools, right, as well. But it's not like they don't allow it. It's just like... Uh, normal open source. Yeah. If you can figure it out. So not wanting to take away from you running workshops and things, but <laughs> what would be the, the number one thing you would say to someone who wants to learn Cypress to, that might be the thing that usually confuses people? What would be the number one thing that uh, confuses people? I actually talk about this in, in my workshop. Cypress has this chaining syntax where each command passes information onto another, mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, which is, a, is a design pattern which I feel like really plays well with what the test should be. Mm-hmm. Like test ideally shouldn't have like conditions if it's else. It's, it's promise-like, but essentially what you are creating in your test is a scenario that starts at point A and finishes at point Z, yeah. right? And, and it kind of forces you to be very linear with your tests. And the confusion usually, usually starts when you want to open your application and then let's say a list renders out and you want to take the first item and there's an ID and you want to save that ID for later in your test. Now, the question is whether that is a good design, right? Because if you, the, the source of truth comes from the application itself. It's, it's sort of questionable if that's, if, if that's a good design of your test because there may be an error in your application, your test will pass and because it was basing information on that, right? 
It's not impossible to do in Cypress, it's not, but it's not as intuitive as declaring a variable and assigning yeah. uh, a value. You need to, when you have something dynamic in your test, you need to make it part of that chain of commands. So that's something that usually usually confuses people. I think I see what you mean about bringing testers and developers sort of closer together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, if uh, people want to find out more about you and your workshops, etc., where can they go? They can either reach out to me on social networks. So I'm active on LinkedIn and on Twitter at philip underscore Ritz, H-R-I-C, mm-hmm. and, and philip with an F. <laughs> <laughs> I guess people will read that on the on the title of, yeah. of the podcast, and and I also have a have a homepage philipheats.com. So there, I usually publish my blog posts. There, there you can find information about my workshops and generally what I'm up to. So that's that's probably the best uh, place to reach me. For this interview, I'm joined by Denny Leclerc. Leclerc. Uh, sorry, Leclerc. <laughs> sorry. I know you're in you're in Belgium, but I'm, I think you're a, a Dutch Belgian. So I, you know, the pronunciation is always <laughs> it's just, it's <laughs> difficult. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. You were speaking at We Are Developers last week. Now, your talk topic caught my eye because you were specifically looking at color blindness and color contrast and things like that in in design in web design. Is that about yeah. right? About the summary of the talk? Okay. It's partly design, but I shouldn't say only web design. Design in common. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And you work for Run DDWare. I'm DD thinking, Soft, DDWare, yes. DDWare is, is the technology own... stack of DDSoft. Right. Okay. And, and what, what is that? You describe it. I think I can switch to, to in English just to get the... But I think you have a you have a thread running through a lot of what you do, which is helping people access technology. I yeah. guess that's kind of a thread. But just describe to me briefly what 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 you do there. So DDSoft is in Belgium a non-profit, and mm-hmm. the thread is indeed in DDWeg is the already announced part of the DDSoft. We will have another part, and what we are doing in DDWeg and that branch is really connecting. The IT industry with the social industry with a big emphasis on accessibility. It's not only accessibility, but always the crossover of the social industry and the technology industry. By example, if a a therapist or Mm -hmm. a body therapist practitioner contacts us, we will make the websites. Of course, Mm -hmm. we love to build it accessible, but we also do research and accessibility and giving in-house trainings and companies about accessibility and inclusion. Mm-hmm. There, there is an, a crossover where we also teaching or learning and inspiring people how to collaborate with developers mm-hmm. at your workforce on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. So it's all, DDSoft is all about, and DDWeg, the IT branch of DDSoft is all about the social impact of technology, if it's mm-hmm. disabilities, if it's social jobs, if it's autism. So really humanizing social, the social effect and impact of software. Okay. That's what we are doing. And so you talk about web design, coaching, training. What, what yeah. tends to be the, the biggest aspect of what you do? Coaching and training. Okay. To be honest, we want this. It's nearly new our website so we are we exist seven years mm-hmm. at this time 
And we had some rebrandings that happened us live, that is yeah. businesses. And this rebranding with a new website is quite new. So if you are really doing in the past, our biggest is website design for, mm-hmm. let's say, social businesses. But our, our goal is really to move and to, to push way more into trainings and workshops and companies. Just what I really love to do is learning and teaching people stuff. That's what I do as a speaker at conferences in person or virtual. But that's what we really want to expand to in companies and then not a session of an hour, but really half day training, full day trainings, even a wanted or appreciated two day trainings. Mm-hmm. Next to that, we are really also having a big, um, we are putting a big emphasis on the IT coaching. Mm-hmm. It's really coaching is a methodology, methodology from the social industry that is used, by example, for people with disabilities, but also for people having mental situations. By example, uh, uh, there is burnout coaching. So people experience burnout and going into coaching to find a better job or in the same job that is fulfilled better to their needs. That's really coaching as a, a methodology in the social field. And we are seeing that it can help in, in IT. And some examples, let's example you have, let's say that kind of a massage therapist coming to you, see what they, they on the website and they don't know IT terms. They have a lot of people that's needed and search engine optimization is needed and accessibility is needed and you need to have Google ads and, and Facebook ads. But they don't see the root behind the trees or mm-hmm. in the trees. And there, I, one thing is the developing yourself and just their work, but to have more of the conversations with them to really refine what they need because they hear a lot of stuff, and I said they really don't see the wood in between the trees, so they even don't know it anymore. And then the social uh, methodology coaching really helped to refine and to also learn them to be confident because they don't, if they want to update their website, for example, change the price of a service. Most of them are also starting their business and they want to make quick adjustments. They don't want to call to us to change and maybe get an invoice. So they want to have some level of confidence in the website. And therefore, really non-IT people there, the coaching methodology really helps learning implementation of technology, mm. an example. Okay. Let's now switch to the, the talk you, you did. What are some of the main issues with with colorblindness and... I guess vision in general and yeah. using using computers, using phones, using tablets. I know some platforms are better than others, but what are usually some of the biggest problems that many developers and designers overlook? The biggest thing that we overlook is that this is stuff that you need to do yourself. The platforms are not really doing mm. color contrast. They can't, they, the only thing that you are not doing is checking and giving an, an exclamation if it's not accessible. In general, you can't test it. In general, people tend to not looking and imagine that there are other people, mm. like, like, for example, with disabilities. And as I said, it's not only color blindness. First of all, color blindness, one on three men male people, because with women, it's way less, mm-hmm. are colorblind. So one on three is not that little. And also, if you have a decreased sight, 
een small font, dus dat we all going smaller, een small font, is even a little bit readable if the color contrast is bigger. If mm. the color contrast is small, and what I see is that first of all, we don't, most of the people don't know have the knowledge about the, let's say the color region difficulties that we can have at color combination. So they don't ask for color combinations. And the other tendency is people like to have it. We have a tendency that we really want to have a color palette with less contrast mm. because in the view for a reason that I don't know at that time, in the view of a reason of the designers and developers, it looks nice if there is little contrast. Mm, mm. But that makes it so much harder for a lot of people. Mm. And that's something that you even, if you really apply a little bit of logic into contrast, contrast is really how you differentiate A versus B. The foreground versus the background, so the tax on the background. And if you really apply some logical thinking, should you ever put white on yellow? No, not usually. That happens way too much. Should you put white on light green? Say no, please. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, I'm just trying to think in my On dark green, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so, yeah, sorry, carry on. So it's a little bit of logical thinking, but next to this, no, the logical thinking, I think, is not always needed. It's only needed for the mindset yeah. to know it's important, and you will not know all color combinations. Yeah. But that's the thing. Yeah. Half part of this talk, more than the half, the biggest part of my, first of all, I, I introduce you to the problem and that there are people really living with those disabilities with your color combinations in general. And then the biggest part of the talk, I really talk about three testing tools so you can okay. test and you can really test because the color color contrast ratio the ratio is the difference between the background and the foreground let's say that's why color one and color two that can be calculated to a mathematical number and they are really testing tools against that number and there are even standards published with the WCAG, yeah. the World Wide Web uh, Content Accessibility Guidelines. So it is, there are ratios that are working hard written, and they are test tools that you can test again the hard written ratios. That's the good thing. Yeah, but so let's let's just before we get to the testing tools because I, okay. I definitely know there are some. I mean, from my perspective of just having looked at some of the options, I can see that some operating systems do add things on top uh, for, for contrast, for inverted, for changing font sizes, things like that. How, how much, you mentioned it a little bit already, but how much can application designers and developers rely on those to do some of the work for them or i guess if someone has committed kind of color contrast crimes that they're not going to fix everything but for the sort of middle ground they may may help is that kind of the case or do they not really help as much as people think it's double first of all i appreciate you i love your, your the, the the using of the term color contrast crimes because they are i call it also accessibility crimes yeah uh, that's Difficult thing. First of all, they are tools um, yeah. for changing the contrast mode on each device. But the sad truth is, we here as developers and also designers 
are really in the industry knowing all the stuff. You are not making those websites, application products for yourself and people like us. And please ask your family members and your, I always call the FFF, the friends, the family and the fool. So the, just a, a random 20 person on your Facebook profile. I don't say LinkedIn, I say Facebook or Instagram for this reason. And just ask them about what do they know and settings to change the stuff. Mm, so the true. majority yeah. don't know. Yeah. And the sad thing is, the sad truth is, this is also not learned to people with those difficulties. So I am not colorblind. I have a, a degree side. I never went to um, an eye specialist. I've been to eye specialist a lot, but I never went to an eye specialist saying, but do you know that you can adjust things on your computer? So... The tools exist, but nobody, nearly nobody know that they are there. And unfortunately, this also includes people who will be have help with those tools. Mm, mm, mm. And just think about this. Just go to your, look into your clothes, FFF, as I said, choose 20 of them, random, and ask them. I'm not sure if you will find one. <laughs> Before we get to the way people can improve things, can you give any examples of sites or applications that do it really well that people can use as a as a measure for what they should aim for? I really love in general what Microsoft is doing for mm -hmm. the public facing sites. I love it. They are really conscious about accessibility. And let's say just a company is working has a chief accessibility officer just in uh, a seagull uh, for accessibility mm. and most of the and being public about this are most of the time just doing great jobs because they know the knowledge about this I love them and then it's really that's a bad thing and that's maybe something bad about me if something you see I frustrate you that it's really bad you're a mind mm. but if you see the things are good and doing what they should do it is unnoticed yeah, so if true, you true. ask me, name five websites who are UI find is really bad, I can give you 10 instead of five. But that's a blind spot of people. Yeah, yeah, and it's a pity yeah. thing, to be honest. Yeah, no, it's, it's fair enough. I know. <laughs> it's fair enough. <laughs> okay. And uh, let's, let's talk about then what people can use to see, to test for themselves, and preferably not just web, if there's also options for kind of native development, be that. You yeah, know, iOS, whatever it may be as well, because sometimes it's harder with those non-web tools. But what are some things that people can use to to know what the problems are? Let's start with that and then we'll go into what they need to do. But just we'll tell them there's problems in the first place. The first thing that I should recommend is just playing with the settings to stimulate the disabilities. Mm. the vision difficulties on your local device. And it doesn't matter if it's your Windows, it will be in the settings, also with Android, also with iOS. So mm. play with it and make it yourself hard. So a lot of tools you can set, stimulate, like I have this disability, mm -hmm. like mm. And a terminology of colorblindness is comatosia. Yeah. So just play with it. To go to okay. and see how much difficult it starts to be. Also, if you're using the, the WCA key 
contrast, color contrast checker and a plugin yeah. into your browser, you can also stimulate this. Sim, sorry, simulate this. And there are even filters that you can install on all your browsers or on your device. And then you see through the eyes of a person with difficulties. Mm-hmm. And it's already get a little bit of funny to understand why it's needed to adjust some stuff. And how are all of these common problems fixable? Or there are some that just there are no real solutions right now. And it's just a problem that we hope the industry will fix at a, a certain point. There's a good thing and a bad thing about this. Yeah. The good thing, let's start at the good thing. It's all perfectly fixable. There are measures about, and it's, in fact, it's only about, it's everything you do, even your, your operating system as a design choice. Yeah. And most of the time, the operating systems are all accessible. Yeah. Uh, but it's just uh, on the UIs that you are making, Website UI, leaflet UI, also just just software, let's call it, and all terminology is a design. Mm. And all the things, as I said, all the it's all about the color, contrast, and font sizes that you are using in your design because each design is built, also the software tools that you are using. And the good thing is it's measurable. Yeah. There are guidelines and there are ratios if you look to the WCAG standards on accessibility there are official guidelines saying if you are reaching those guidelines it's really really good and you will cover a lot of people the big big biggest majority so that's a good thing there's a less good thing People don't know it, and people mm. don't look at the standards. So, first of all, people don't know that they are there. And if you say it, you think about it just for a second. It's not a priority that the most of the people have. I know to define and, and to test all the stuff, and that's a less good thing. So, the the problem that a lot of software and website is inaccessible is perfectly, on a technical way, perfectly solvable, hundred okay. percent. And I know, think- I know that some accessibility guidelines are now on certain sites and services actually regulated by law. You have mm-hmm. to have a certain level. I must admit my memory of that was based a few years back in Australia, not in Europe. Yeah. So let's take Europe as an example because we're both there now. Who, who has to follow accessibility guidelines by law and to what level? In fact, by 2025, mm-hmm. everybody needs to have everybody who are giving services to public. So if you're selling to customers, you are giving services to public. Yeah. You need to have the WCAG compliant method AA. So yeah. WCAG, so the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, has three levels. Yeah. A, AA, and AAA. So you will need to have, and the WCAG also has Version. So the mm-hmm. at this time the most recent version is 2.2. So you need to have 2.2 AA. Mm-hmm. And theoretical, I say theoretical with reasons. Mm-hmm. In 2025, mm-hmm. if you are having a customer finding difficulties, they can give a lawsuit to you, and they can even come come to court. And but I say a lot of it can, it can, it can because yeah, yeah, mixed yeah, feelings. Yeah. And we've seen this with, of course, other European yeah. 
Let's say if you have a country yeah. that their own official parts are not accessible, well, their courts punish you. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Wishful thinking. <laughs> Some of the things we've been talking about, are they? what level are they at in the, in the WCAG guidelines? So three levels. They are. They have three levels. So they are saying. No, for, um, for, for level some of a, the, 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 the color issues we've talked about. And they... all of them. Am I all covered? For example, I, I can explain this really simple. Mm-hmm. It's really simple. Level A is the least accessible. Level triple A is the most accessible. Okay. Let's going to. If you're going to, and the WCAG is not about only about color contrast, it's about everything for accessibility. Okay. At level A, they are saying color is not the only way of conveying information. Mm. So they don't talk about color contrast ratio. I give an example on color contrast because that's the talk of today. That means color is not the only way of conveying information. If you have a hyperlink, it's good to have a different color. And my example also underlying. So if you have, for example, a black text, and you put a hyperlink in it without an underline because your designer find it ugly in underline and they only put it in green and make it simple. Then color is the only way of conveying information. So level A, they are saying color is not the only way of conveying yeah. information. Okay. So that's not yeah. okay anymore. Uh, yeah. And then level double A works with the ratios that you need to have for regular text, small text and logos. And then you have the triple A does the same, but then the ratios are harder. Let's give you the official numbers of the ratios that you need to have because they are, that's a good thing. It's all official and tangible. So as I said, it's an all three, but yeah, the, the, the rules or the measures are harder, the higher you are going to, to the A's. So let's see the official ratio that they are saying in WCAG 2.2. Level A is only saying color is not the only way. Double A saying everything need to be the ratio four and a half on one, except larger text can be three on one. And there are some yeah. exceptions that, and then for example, if you're going to triple A, everything need to be seven on one, except larger text four and a half on one. So it's just Doubled. What what motivated you to to make turn this into a job as opposed to just something you were passionate about? Why why did you want to take this so much further? This kind of topic of accessibility and computing access, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Myself, uh, I so I am a person with autism, and I didn't yeah. find the way, let's say, in the regular workforce. And I am doing everything in a non-profit, but not only TD, so not only my own non-profit, because that's the best way for me to have my quality of life, and I have a fee from the government. And I started to work in 2012, and then daycare center specific for people with disabilities and also severe disabilities, like uh, cognitive disabilities, like like people with Down syndrome. And I really was solving how many people are excluded in technology. And I, I am there working as a developer for custom tailored solutions for them. Really mm-hmm. frustration if you're seeing how many people are falling, let's say, behind the tech boat. And also, mm-hmm. and tech is becoming mm-hmm. part of life. 
And also, my other thing, as I said, my eyes, my eyes are not good. I'm not colorblind, but I have decreased sight. And if you really are not colorblind people, seeing to... So I always had talks about accessibility. That's my passion since 2017, if I started as a conference speaker. But really the talk about, just about color contrast, to be honest, as a talk started from my own frustration. Mm. Yeah, and talks about starting from frustrations seems to be successful, I thought. <laughs> because as not yeah. colorblind, really the contrasts they are using even official departments yeah. that you are really need to concentrate to read. And then also in a wave of new, let's say, influencers and startups, not in tech only, but also, let's say, dietitians, influencers yeah, with a new yeah, product. Yeah. Uh, I saw them using a lot of folders and leaflets and I'm saying, why? Why make it difficult for people? It's so simple yeah. to do it right. I, I think I think there's probably an aspect where you know there's a, a lot of frameworks and tools that people use that probably start from a bad spot, but because people don't know that, they just yeah. use them, and so it propagates the it's problem. It's not that bad, and that's the thing. Yeah, I really issue um, that. Yeah, and especially with a lot more tools kind of created from, you know, the 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 technical perspective of why mm. it's good, and By the example, other stuff gets through. Yeah. Concrete, it is not okay mm. that a tool, a real famous tool, a official tool that a lot of non-tiny people use, use to design, it's a website, it starts with the C, I won't say more. It's really not okay that they even don't show you a warning that your things are not accessible. It's like yeah. they even don't inform you. It's not okay. <laughs> All right, I think that's a good spot to end on. It's not okay. <laughs> and that was my interviews with Philip and Denny from We Are Developers way back in the summer of 2023. Took me a little bit of time to get to them. I am catching up, <laughs> getting there slowly, getting there slowly. But I hope you enjoyed them. Now, a few small things from me. As I've mentioned on the past few episodes, I'm still rethinking how I'm going to do some of my news and links shows, and I'm going to spend a little bit of the holiday season thinking about that. So for now, I'm just leaving that out, but I do have a few things I've been up to to share with you. First, on the video front, I have the first of two, the second one hasn't been published yet, sponsored content with Pixiebricks, a really interesting low-code platform that lets you add all sorts of automation and extra interface elements to web pages. And you can have a look what I get up to in the first video there, where I figure out how to connect uh, GitHub issues to Trello and all sorts of weird things like that. And then I have a second video nestled amongst a couple of sort of random shorts where I look at actions for Obsidian, bringing Apple shortcut to Obsidian, which is also a, a great little add-on tool to try and bring a little bit more macOS nativeness to a wonderful application. This is Obsidian, but it is not always very native. On the blog front, I also have a blog version of that actions for Obsidian video over on Medium. There's also a blog version. I 
posted as a guest over on the Scoring Notes blog, which got a lot of comments from people in the industry. And I've been having a lot of conversations <laughs> with people from very large software companies helping me figure out some of the problems I had, which has been quite an interesting process. And I will definitely have some follow-up content around that very soon. As we round down for the year, what else? I have a small game that I entered into the Buttonshire game competition, an 18-card game based on holidays. I will post links to that very soon once the competition is over, which is today, day of recording. And there will be possibly a few more things dripping out before the end of the year. As always, you can keep an eye on christianchiller.com. I am looking forward to a few days off, but there's one more week to go yet. <laughs> and then just a few days off, but every little helps. So until then, I have been Christian Scheller. I hope you enjoyed the interviews. Thank you very much for joining me and take care, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. Find out more about me at christianchiller.com, where you can find show notes, sign up for my newsletter, and find all of my writing, games, work, and video links. There's also details on how to get in touch with me. And if you want to get even closer to what I do, join my Discord server for behind-the-scenes discussions and helping me produce my shows and work.